Okay, so I remember my detailed outline that I gave to you a couple of mornings ago. So I'm going to be continuing off of that. Um, I uh, I was working on the, the Proverbs section, and I thought it would be more profitable to round out some of those texts today uh, that I did not get to finish really teaching on the Ephesians text and also the Titus to the Titus text. And so my desire is to look at these passages and to think about things in terms of the Christian uh, sphere that we have, right? We have a church, we have households, how do we interact with each other, how do we help to see households meshed, how do we help to see um, the church community built up, how do we cooperate effectively together, and so I... Um, decided to continue that briefly. So this should be the last time that I'm preaching on uh, those texts for this little interlude. But, uh, okay, so what I'd ask is that you guys open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. So again, I'll be reading and commenting as I go. I will not be having a reading of this text separated and then also teaching through. So we're just going to go through. So Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 6. So verse 1. This this book, the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters are a doctrine-heavy section. It's focused on the gospel. Um, What you have is a number of doctrinal truths laid out about uh, Christ's work, and also Ephesians has very similar content in the first three chapters to what you see sort of laid out in Romans in the first nine chapters. You have predestination heavily emphasized, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, and you have the reality of the way in which the Jews and Gentiles are going to be brought together into, are brought together into a covenant community in the church. So you get into the first part of the chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, and this is sort of that bridge text. Remember in Romans you have chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2 is sort of that bridge into the practical section. This is sort of the equivalent of that. So chapter 4, verse 1 is the bridge text from the doctrine-heavy section into the practical application sections. So we get to chapter 4, verse 1, and it says... I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So, unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I'm going to ask you to consider underlining that in your Bibles. Those two phrases unity of the Spirit. And the bond of peace. So we have in this little section here a reminder that we are to walk in a certain way. It has to do with behavior. And that behavior that we're called to is a behavior that is worthy of the calling with which we're called. What's that about? That language is about the idea that we have received the effectual call of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has caused us to believe And therefore, we are to walk in a manner that's worthy of that salvation, of that calling of the Holy Spirit. 
And so there's a call to lowliness. What's lowliness? Lowliness is thinking of yourself properly, not tending towards thinking of yourself as too high for service or too high to acknowledge your wrongs, but rather the idea of lowliness is trying to think of yourself properly. Trying to think of yourself as a servant of the Lord, as a servant of your brothers, and as a sinner who needs to acknowledge failings along the way. If you don't have that attitude, you are going to have a brittleness in relationships. So recognizing that you are called to service and recognizing that you fail. right? Those things are necessary to avoid brittleness in relationship. There's also a call to gentleness. Gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is controlled strength. Controlled strength. Weakness is being unarmed. Uncontrolled strength is using the armaments you have irresponsibly. Controlled strength is being armed and not using it except for the defense of self or other. Right? That is the controlling of that strength. So we need to recognize that gentleness, controlled strength, is a key to not destroying relationships. How many times can you remember being offended by something, having a right to demand some sort of restitution, and choosing to not push your right in order to preserve relationship? If you can't remember any times, then I'd ask you to consider, are you doing what is helpful to preserve relationship? If you do it all the time, you might ask, are you failing to engage in conflict when you should? So if you always just give up your right, you might be failing to defend the borders. You might be failing to bring things up that other people need to hear. If you always give up your right, that might be the case. If you never give up your right, you may be contentious. Right? Those are the things to consider here on the sides that you can fall off on. To be long-suffering, to, have, to go through a lot of suffering and being able to bear up under it. Right? If you deal with people very much, if you seek to serve other people, if you seek to own your failings, you're going to suffer. People are going to cause suffering. If you care about other people, if you seek to pour into them, there's going to be an amount of suffering. If you care about people, when they sin, it's going to hurt you. Even if they didn't sin against you, you're going to feel pain about it. So you can choose to not care, and you will not do a lot of service. You can choose to care and buckle under whenever there's a failing. Or you can care and not buckle under, and show strength given by the Holy Spirit by going through much suffering. Holding up. Now, bearing with one another in love. You don't have to bear with things when it's easy. right? When things are pleasant, there's not a lot of bearing going on. Right? The bearing occurs when other people are doing things that are unpleasant. The bearing with someone is you're lifting up, you're holding up burdens that are being placed upon you. And so bearing with one another in love, 
endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That endeavoring is a acknowledging of duty, a pursuing of the duty to keep the unity of the Spirit. What's the unity of the Spirit? The unity of the Spirit is a unity that comes by the work of the Holy Spirit to give you faith. You seek to keep the unity of the Spirit. You're maintaining the unity that we have by the work of the Holy Spirit. You're maintaining the doctrinal unity. and You're, de- you're maintaining the unity that He causes to come out of our fingertips. You're maintaining the unity that's created by the Holy Spirit in the bond of peace. What's the bond of peace? Whenever you see the word bond, whenever you see the word bond, I want you to think covenant. Whenever you see bond, I want you to think covenant. What is a covenant? A covenant is a bond in blood sovereignly administered. Right? It's a it's an obligation formed by swearing. It's a bond. It's an obligation formed by swearing. There are no stronger bonds than those formed by swearing. So it's a bond. A covenant is a bond made by swearing in blood. It's a life or death promise. It has life or death consequences. And it's sovereignly administered. It's defined by God. So we are going to work together trying to walk in a way that's worthy of the calling we've received with lowliness, gentleness, long-suffering, and bearing with one another in love so we can work together to preserve the unity of the Spirit inside of the covenant of peace. What's that covenant of peace? You are baptized. We have received the marker of the covenant of grace, the peace that we have between us and God. That covenant relationship, and we share in that together, right? we have a communion of the saints, so there's a relationship with God, and there's a relationship with the saints, and we're seeking to keep the unity of the Spirit inside of that covenant bond, the bond of peace. This is a part of what your baptism means, and this is a part of what your taking the Lord's Supper means. You are swearing to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So then we have a bunch of reasons attached why we should care about this. Verse 4, There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in us all. Majority text is us. In us all. One, one, one. One, 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 one. All, 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 all. Is it possible that there's an emphasis there? So the idea of the unity and the sharing. The unity and the sharing. The unity and the sharing. That's what's being emphasized with the ones and the alls. It's not ones and zeros. Ones and alls. 
Now, jump forward with me to verse 11. And He Himself gave some to be apostles. This is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. This is His work in the church. Here's The section that we just jumped over is basically saying, you know, look, Christ conquered and He gives us gifts and He has giving us His gifts in order to make it so that we can fill all things with the knowledge of Him. So verse 11, And He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, you might say a a mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, are mature men children? It shouldn't be. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ. Notice there's no, no periods so far. From verse 11 to here, we're still periodless. We have, we have commas all over the place. Some dashes even. Verse 16, From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. It's a complex sentence. Officers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers are given for the purpose of equipping the saints. In this public assembly... This is an assembly of the saints called and you're here because I have been given the duty to equip you and you have been given the duty to be equipped. And so you need to judge that equipment. If I hand you a rusty rifle, it's your job to say, no sir, may I have another? That thing right there, you say, this is not acceptable. If I give you things that are not from the storehouse that Christ has given you are to reject it. Now, I want to show you something linguistic here. This is important because of one of our distinctives as a church. We reject the idea that there are any more than two continuing offices. Okay, there are deacons and there are elders. There are not special elders that get hats. There are not different elders that have a different ordination. There are no special types of elders. The only special things that occur are extra work, elders are supposed to, some of them are supposed to be set apart for the work of being clerks and moderators, but they don't have a different office. That's only an authority in a meeting of a council. So, when you look at the office of pastor-teacher, I want to show you a linguistic thing here. And he gave him, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. The some is before every office. The some pastors and teachers is a way of talking about pastor teachers. 
So there's a change in that list. You have a, the word some is before each office. And so when it says some pastors and teachers, that's the same office. And what's being shown there is there's a pastoral care duty. Okay, so an elder, a presbyter, is called to pastor, to be a poiman, a pastor, someone who cares for sheep. So the word elder sort of points to the maturity that an elder is called to. The word pastor points to the care of individuals in relationship, a sort of priestly work. The word teacher, uh, didacticos, if I'm remembering correctly, I don't have the Greek in front of me. If you have uh, that teacher, uh, a teacher is somebody who's doing, that's the, kind of the prophetic work that you're called to. And then there's a, the word bishop, or overseer, or episcopon. Um, and that refers to the kingly obligation of rule. So the same office has all those names. Elder, bishop, pastor, teacher. And so that's to indicate things that are to be done in that work. There are no continuing apostles. There are no continuing prophets or evangelists. Those are offices for special revelation. They ceased with the completion of the scriptures. There were no new scriptures given after 70 A.D., The book of Revelation is the last book to be given to us. And to add to it, or to add to the Scriptures at this point, is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. As an assertion of being a prophet is a false prophet, and therefore Antichrist. So, the office of pastor and teacher continues, and it's for the purpose of of, of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. The ministry involves... Spreading the knowledge of the truth, and it involves applying the law of God to bless other people. We have a standard of practice and a standard of doctrine. It's for the edifying of the body of Christ. That's what the ministry is for. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Until when? Until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. The church is maturing. This is a text about the corporate maturing of the church. And this has to do with, when it says the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, what we want to see is we want to see the church matured. You do that by maturing individual saints. Individual saints help to mature each other. One of the things I have been delighted to see in the last several months is the increasing interaction and ministry amongst individuals as there's hospitality, as there's care, as there's time spent, as there's people talking to each other, as there's invitations extended, as people are spending time helping to solve problems, helping to talk to each other, helping to work through conflict, helping to talk through doctrine, talking about how should the law of God be applied to this or that or that other thing. That is the work of the ministry of the saints working together to edify the body of Christ. And we're going to keep doing that until we come to the unity of the faith. The unity of the faith, we have the the unity of the Spirit and we have the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit, we are given faith by the Spirit. And the unity of the faith and the unity of the Spirit are not different things. In the context, these are two different things. 
But they are not different things. Unity of the Spirit is shared doctrine. Unity of the faith is shared doctrine. Now, the earlier part is maintain the shared doctrine that we have in the bond of peace so that we can have more shared doctrine. Maintain the shared doctrine that we have so that we can have more shared doctrine. That seems to indicate that doctrine is important. That seems to indicate that truth matters. And so what I want to suggest to you is that all of your problems are solvable with truth. If you have the right truth, you have the solution to the problem. If you don't have that truth, you have a problem. So, the knowledge of the truth sets you free from the guilt of sin and also from the power of sin. The knowledge of the truth helps you to be able to do good works. The knowledge of the truth makes it so you can govern yourself. The knowledge of the truth makes it so you can edify others. The knowledge of the truth shared by two of you makes it so you can work together. So we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. You think those are different? You think the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God are different? Not. These are not. These are two phrases put side by side to help you to define that. The unity of the Spirit, unity of the faith, knowledge of the Son of God. Synonymous. But you can be more or less mature in your faith. You can be more or less mature in your faith. And we're called to grow in maturity. The body as a whole is to grow in maturity, and the individual is to grow in maturity. As individuals become mature, they can add to the work of maturing the body to a new high point. Until you've attained to what the church has already attained to, you're not going to be helpful at advancing the corporate position the position we hold as a group. So, we have captured the high watermark of the doctrine and practice that we agree to in the Westminster Standards. That's our covenanted confessional document. It's a capturing of the mature point, the high watermark. So we work together to see each other matured and to see the church matured to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, we work together until the whole counsel of God, the fullness of Christ, has been attained to in systematic, covenanted, doctrinal form. In other words, until we have the Bible for dummies. Every proposition of it. I don't know about you, but for me, I don't know that I would have ever figured out covenant theology if it hadn't been for the Westminster Standards. I don't know that I would have gotten it. I don't know that I would have figured it out. I might have just read some stuff about covenants and gone, this, these seem like they matter. I'm going to go to work. And just not have figured it out. But because other people had done a lot of work, I was able to look at that. Same with maybe the Trinity. The Incarnation, 
seem pretty hard. It seem hard. You go through all this stuff, you read all these passages, and how do you fit them together? All of the work that went into the Council at Nicaea to get the Doctrine of the Trinity, all the work that went into Chalcedon to get the Doctrine of the Incarnation, all the work that went into the Westminster Assembly to capture this stuff, we have the benefit of being able to get into the fast lane and have them show us. They're giving us a guided tour of the Word of God and saying, here are some of the choice fare. Eat it. Try it out. And you search the Scriptures and you take it in. And so the work of pastor teachers before me has made it so that I can far more easily serve you. And so there is this duty for me to help to mature you to do that and for you to mature each other and for us to work together till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14, that we should no longer be children or to be called out of an immaturity to a maturity. One of the things about being a child is you're not quite sure what to do. You're not quite sure how to figure things out. And one of the things about adulthood that is nice is the stability of purpose and deciding what you're going to do and doing things in order to accomplish a consistent goal. So as a child, the danger is being tossed around, being unstable in your thoughts. And so one of the things about parents, parents you're called to help to to shelter your children, to guard them from the winds, to keep them from the dangers. And in keeping them from the dangers, the goal is to help them to form stability and maturity. If you take a young plant and leave it out for the weather to just affect it as it will, if it's a flower-growing plant, you will find that the flowers can be easily marred by bad weather, that light brushes against it can damage the bud and cause the flower to come out ugly. And so there is this duty to protect the immature from being blown around by every wind of doctrine. And so, for example, we have the Shorter Catechism, right? The Shorter Catechism is a tool to help to make it so that it's easier and shorter to go through basic doctrine. That's what we do with a a church covenant. That's what we do with these these kinds of things. This idea of having these documents that help to make it so there's a place to quickly mature. It's sort of the, the wooden stick you put by a small tree to help to keep it growing straight. And so we want to help people to mature so they're not blown around by every wind of doctrine, but they have discernment. But there's a danger because not everybody is seeking your good. There's a danger of the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Notice this doesn't say, oh, the danger is that you know, there's going to be some real nice pastors that don't really have it all together and they're going to come and they're going to tell you some wrong things accidentally but you know well meaning no it says by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting if people want to teach you spiritual things you should 
have two thoughts. That seems very valuable. That seems very dangerous. If it weren't valuable, you just wouldn't do it because it's dangerous. You wouldn't listen to them. If it weren't dangerous, you just listen without having to filter or discern. But the reality that it's very valuable and very dangerous, teachers, like politicians, come in two sorts. The ones that want to use you and the ones that want to serve you. And it's your job to discern with politicians and with teachers what they are. And so in teaching you, one of my goals is, should the Lord take me from this earth, will you have sufficient discernment to make sure that you replace me in this pulpit with someone worth listening to? Will you judge their teaching? Will you see if they are giving you doctrine that is meant to blow you around with the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting? Now, verse 15. We shouldn't be children. We shouldn't be blown around by every wind of doctrine. We shouldn't be tricked by men and their cunning craftiness or their deceitful plotting. Instead, and also by demons, by the way, the doctrines of demons... Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Here's this call to mature in the likeness of Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Christ causes the growth of the body. He does it by causing every joint to supply things to the other parts. Who are the joints? You are. You are supplying the nourishment from Christ to each other. How do you know if you're passing on nourishment or if you're passing on poison? Can you prove it from the Scriptures? You can't serve each other spiritually unless you know the Scriptures. If you're passing on other stuff and you can't show it from the Scriptures, you are supplying each other with God knows what. He does. He does know what. And so, you are called to pass nourishment to each other. According to the effective working by which every part does its share. You have a share that you've been called to. How are you called to serve? What spiritual gifts do you have? How can you bless other people? You have been given Holy Spirit powers. You have powers from the Holy Spirit. You have talents. You have giftings. You have resources. You have time. What are you doing to bless others? Now, newly married, new kids, you focus on at home. Not those things. If you're mature in the faith, focus on getting mature in the faith. You're, you're mature enough in the faith to be a young man, maybe not quite the father in the faith yet. Start using your strengths to serve. 
your father in the faith, pour yourself out. Pour yourself out. So this desire to serve, this is the good life. This is the life that will mature others around you, and it will mature you too. You want to grow in the knowledge of the truth? Start sharing the knowledge you have. You will get asked questions. You will get pushed. You will have to figure things out. Your ignorance will be revealed. Your laziness will be shown. And you will be prodded by a sense of shame and a desire to be better. You want to be better? Put yourself out there and try to do things. You will fail. I guarantee it. And it will be the best thing. It will be so good for you. From Christ, the whole body joined and knit together by every, by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This teaching each other in love. Teaching each other in love does not look like smashing each other over the head angrily about disagreement. Teaching each other in love looks like patiently asking questions, bringing up scripture texts, hammering the same point gently until it's resolved, pushing on the same thing, trying to come to conclusion. Seeking to persuade by trickery of men looks like evading the argument that the other person you're talking to just gave you and going to something else that you think might be more persuasive. Seeking to edify in love looks like when somebody shows you someplace where you're wrong, acknowledging that you're wrong or that you don't know or you have to look into it and coming back. So that discussion requires long-suffering, endeavoring to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It requires lowliness and gentleness. It requires bearing with one another in love, seeking to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now, the rest of the book of Ephesians is also good. And I've talked a little bit about Ephesians 5:22 through 6:10 recently. But what I want to point out for you is that those passages there are going to show you how to do what we just talked about in the household. Okay, so the, the wife respecting the husband, submitting to the husband, the husband self-sacrificially serving, children obeying, fathers seeking to lead their children and mothers in a way that doesn't provoke to wrath, employees seeking to serve their masters well, Masters seeking not to intimidate and use extortion or coercion or manipulation, but seeking instead to treat those under their authority justly, without partiality. Rewarding those who are wise and good and effective. And so there is a call there for how we are to engage and there's a lot of time we have to spend with each other in the home. There's a lot of time we have to spend with each other in the church. 
and that is the call to work together. Now, in order to think about that in terms of more particular roles in the body, I want you to turn with me now to Titus. It's to the right. All right, so Titus, you have a call in chapter 1, verse 5. There's this, the work of the elder. And the work of the elder is called to tango with heretics. All right, it says this, verse five, chapter 1, verse 5, Titus chapter 1, verse 5. For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set and order the things that are lacking and appoint elders, plural, plural, elders, plural, plural, there's an S at the end. In every city, as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop, notice the word elder and bishop are used interchangeably here. A bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he, might, that he may be able by sound doctrine. And that word, sound doctrine, the root word there for sound in, in, in the Greek is healing or cleansing. The root of the word hygiene. The truth is cleansing. The truth is healing. The truth is cleansing and healing. You want care for the soul? You want a doctor of the soul? You need a good preacher. Because the doctrine, the doctrine is what sets the soul in order. It makes it so that you are mature, so that you don't get thrown about by every wind of doctrine. It gives you soundness in your bones, strength to your frame. The doctrine is healing. A preacher who is holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by healing doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Exhorting to do your duty. Convicting, showing you you're wrong. If I can't show you you're wrong, how am I going to help you? If I can't show you you're wrong, how am I going to help you? Oh, we'll just agree to disagree. Great, I'm useless to you. You're not going to be healed. No healing there. If I just give up and go, well, I'll agree to disagree. I'm going to, that's like, having a patient come into a doctor's office, the bone is sticking out of their thigh. And I go, well, I don't think you're, I don't think you're healthy. And you go, I think I'm fine. I walked into the place, doc. I go, well, all right, go on your way. Good hustle. Screaming on the way out. I disagree, though. Not injured. I need to be able to show you there's an injury there and to set the bone in place. 
That's what the healing word does. It shows you what you should do and encourages you and strengthens you to do it. And it shows you what you shouldn't do. It shows you what to put off. It shows you what to stop. It shows you what's bad for you. You've got to get into the tussle. You have to wrangle with the word. Now, one other thing I want to point out is the elder needs to be not self-willed. I can make up whatever cures I want. I can make up whatever cures I want. But not from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just making stuff up. An elder needs to be not self-willed. It's so easy to use a teaching office to just tell people to do whatever you want them to do. To exert extra authority that I don't have. Right? I, it's easy to do. Sometimes people just beg you to do it. Not self-willed. It's not my call. Not my jurisdiction. Not my authority. That's your problem. You've got to do that. I'll show you how. I'll walk beside you. And I'll show you even the word of God where. But if I'm just making stuff up, That's self-willed. Same with worship, same with government. Not self-willed. A steward needs to be blameless. You know, a steward doesn't govern their own house. A steward governs somebody else's house. And if you hire a steward and they redesign your house to look like what they want, you fire that guy. He's not a good steward. He's not stewarding your stuff. He's treating your stuff like it's his. An officer that enters into office and then does what he wants as opposed to what God wants as revealed in his word is self-willed. Bind officers down with the word of God. Do not use confidence in men as a justification to just allow discretionary power. Form of government. Directory of worship. Confession of faith. What do the scriptures say about those things? Why do you need to do this? Why do you need godly, manly elders that are going to fight about the doctrine and administer the healing word. Mainly to flatter myself. I like to think I'm a combat medic. Just trying to set the set the bone on the field and shooting back. Verse ten. For there are many insubordinate. These are the guys shooting at me. Both idle talkers and deceivers especially those of the circumcision. People who want to come and bring in things that are not a part of the new covenant worship. Doctrines that are not the doctrine of justification by faith alone. The circumcision party wants to Judaize, they want to bring in the old covenant worship, and they want to bring in justification by something other than faith alone. That's the danger there. So, idolatry, false doctrine. Verse 11, whose mouths must be stopped. I don't want to do that. I don't like that. Who? That does not sound fun. Stopping the mouths. But that's the, that's the call. 
It's the call to fight. I need more men to help me to do that. I need your help to do that. I need to be encouraged. I need to be supported. I need to be prayed for. It's really easy to cower out. I just confessed earlier today. It's really easy to cower out and not do something that should be done. Who subvert whole households. Households are the units. These are the squads. These are the fire teams. You've got to protect these. You lose a household. Right? There's, there's a little unit gone. There's a danger about false doctrine coming in and ruining households. Men, you are leaders of your households. You are responsible for guarding your house. Don't let your household slip away into the abyss. Don't let your household fall apart or fall away. Don't let it succumb to that wind of doctrine from the trickery of men. Do not allow the deceivers, those who contradict the word of God, the insubordinate and those who are full of dissipation, the idle talkers, those who would bring in man-made worship or old covenant worship, man-made doctrine or doctrine contrary to that which has been delivered, don't let them subvert your house. Don't be on the casualty list. Why do they do this? Why do they come and subvert whole households teaching things that they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain? The sake of dishonest gain. The Bible doesn't pull punches on the motives of false teachers. Every time they get listed, you get smash mouth, these guys are bad. We, we think the real sins are other things. False doctrine is a big deal. False teaching is a big deal. It's serious sin. And so it needs to be dealt with like serious sin. Verse 12, One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy, gluttons. This testimony is true. What is, what is the Apostle Paul saying here? Is he saying people from Crete are all these things? Well, in a certain sense, think about this. Every human being is a liar, an evil beast, and is lazy glutton. If you can't say that about yourself, think a little harder. Now, the point there is to say, hey, this prophecy from this false prophet condemns himself, and therefore he is showing himself to not be reliable to communicate the truth. That's the point there. It's an ad hominem attack. It's taking his own system and showing it to be deconstructed. Verse 13, this testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, that they may be clean in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men. Right, Judaizing, commandments of men. Taking the stuff from the old covenant, trying to put it in the new, commandments of men. These are the things that people want to impose. We have the simplicity of the new covenant worship. We guard it. There's a duty to rebuke sharply false teaching. Now, notice the difference between the language of 
endeavoring to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace with rebuke sharply. There's fighting on the outside, and they're seeking to preserve the unity on the inside. I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. I need you men to be dangerous. I need you to be dangerous so that you can help me to fight on the outside. I need us to pour energy into engaging with the false doctrine. I need your help. I need to figure out how to project the doctrine. I need to figure out how to engage, how to fight it, how to evangelize, how to bring other people in, how to disciple them. I need your help to do that. You have to wrangle. You have to tussle. You have to deal with it too. You take risks in your relationships. You evangelize. We disciple together. We work people brought in we work together we seek to apply the healing word we're side by side we do that and in order to do that you're going to take lumps and if you take lumps after a while you start wondering why am i doing this you're doing it because we live in a perishing world filled with dying and dead men. And the word of God resurrects dry bones. It takes deserts and makes them into gardens. The word of God is powerful to take deadness and make it living. And we want to see the Lord Jesus Christ fill all the deserts. We want to glorify God and you will see joy in it. You will smile as blood drips down your lip. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. There's a need to work together to rebuke sharply outside and to maintain the work inside and as we pull people in remember they're going to punch you in the face while you try to help them it's going to happen and you're going to try to show them obvious wounds and they're going to resist and I'll help you with that we'll work through it verse 15 to the pure all things are pure but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure but even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny Him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. The healing word makes them not abominable, makes them not disobedient, and it makes them not disqualified. Verse Chapter 2, verse 1. But as for you, and now here's the social order, okay? So, This is the work I'm called to do as an elder, and I'm called to do it and to work with you men and to seek to have multiple elders, and I am to do that and to provide a frame, to provide a structure to help to see plants grow to maturity, to help to prevent the damage in bud, to see the mature and the strong join in the work. But as for you, Speak the things which are proper for healing doctrine. And here are some of these things that are for healing doctrine. And if you think you fit into these categories, and you fit into one of these categories, so think about your part. 
I'm asking you to identify which one is you and to memorize it. It's like a sentence for each of you. A sentence. And this is a healing word for you. That the older men, that the older men be sober. My word there, nephalious, it's serious. To be reverent. To be temperate. Sound in faith, in love, in patience. Those older men, imagine this. Imagine that you are described as serious, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, sound in love, sound in patience. Would you be honored by that description? Make people describe you that way. Make it so that anybody who doesn't looks like a fool. Make it so that everybody has to admit that about you. Make yourself government known to all men. You know how you make virtues known? When you do them, when everyone goes... <gasps> If you can pull off performing a good work when everyone expects you not to, that is how you make that virtue of the Holy Spirit known to all men. Older women, likewise, that they be reverent. Now the word reverent there Priestly is really a better translation. It's based upon the word hieros, because this priestly. The older women likewise that they be priestly in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. And the word good there is callous, which actually means beautiful. Okay, so teachers of beautiful things. Women are beautifiers. Teachers of beautiful things. What are the beautiful things that they should teach? That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. The older women teaching the younger women those things, they're teaching beautiful things. So, young women, be students of these beautiful things. To love your own husband, it might sound like, well, yeah. You know, you, you think, okay, of course, I'm going to love my husband, right? And so you have this idea there. To be a lover of your husband means to understand what's good for him and to apply what's good for him. That requires study of the law of God. How do you love your husband? Apply the Ten Commandments in exhaustive detail. How do you love your children? Same thing. They are like unto you in every way, and they're sinners too. You are a sinner. They are a sinner. The children need the law of God. They need the truth taught to them. They need to know what it is that is commanded of them. And so knowing how to love your husband, how to love your children, 
Those are different relationships. Loving your husband is loving your superior. Loving your children is loving inferiors. And so you have to deal with difference of rank. And you have to know, how do I love one who is in authority over me? And how do I love those who are under me in authority? Those are beautiful things. The way that Christian women display their beauty is the beauty of the inward woman. It is the beauty of the soul. It is the expression of the virtues. And men, we are called to make a place that is safe and protected for women to be able to show feminine virtue. So I am called to help to guard and create frame for the church, and all of you men are. And each of us is called as men to guard our homes and to make that possible. And women, you are called to help each other to help your husbands, to help your children. You older women are called to help the younger women. Now that's relative, but also this. There are, typically, when you look at Scripture, you look at young women, and young women are going to be women who are 30 and below. There's this sort of point when you hit 30, and you are in the prime of life. The 30 to 60 zone is sort of dealt with as this prime of life it's the the age of 30 is where men can become officers and by 60 there's a diminishing of strength so i'm asking if you are in that middle group and i'm asking if you are mature in the faith that you use that position to bless the younger women and then there's the older place where there's a diminishing of strength both for men and women in the over 60 category. We are in a youth-obsessed culture, so we find being called old to be insulting. That's a lie. And I'm going to give you a healing word, and I'm going to set the bone for you. Gray hair is a crown. Gray hair is a crown. And when it is accompanied with wisdom and righteousness... That crown is resplendent. We should see the mature walking in maturity. And so, gray hair is a sign of maturity. We should not stand for the young. But when the gray-haired enter, Leviticus says to stand. The children, your parents walk in the room, you haven't seen them all day, they come home from some task, you should stand for them to greet them. This duty to honor station and age and gifting is a culture of honor. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Now, verse 6, Likewise exhort the young men to be sober-minded, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. You think youth is the time to spend on frivolity? Is frivolity a pattern of good works? What are you doing with your time? If you're young, you are strong. If you are strong, you have strength for good works. If you have strength for good works and you're not doing a good work, start doing a good work. Every moment is a moment to be redeemed. Young men, you're called to be serious-minded. 
to show yourselves to be a pattern of good works and doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of us. Hey, I said that about the older men, that what we should do is show our virtue in such a way that they have to admit it. Younger men too. Make it so that they're ashamed. If they have to slander you, make it an embarrassing process for them. Yeah, he's awful. Make it so everybody laughs. That's what we're called to do. Do you work for somebody? Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back. Children, think about that too. Wives, think about that too. Not answering back. Not pilfering. But showing all good fidelity, faithful service, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. All right, so we've seen laid out there a culture that I hope is a beautiful culture to you. You think about, we talked about the household and mission back in Genesis chapters 2 and 3. We talked about the church and officers, both in Ephesians and in Titus. And we talked about the household and the relationship between people in different age groups. That is the culture that we're called to care about. That is what we're called to manifest That's what we're called to show. Let's be a city on a hill with right doctrine and with a culture that is beautiful. So find the part that applies to you. Young, old, male, female, whatever station you're in, find it. Memorize that part. You're not sure which one you are? Memorize both. If you're young... Memorize the part about the old. You'll be old someday, unless you die before then. Makes getting old seem better, my grandfather used to say. So it beats the alternative. All right. Comments, questions, objections from the voting members and those with speaking rights?